Ever feel frustrated that your employees are not proactive in helping solve problems? How do you get your employees to think and act like a winner? Someone who's really capable of doing great things. Of course, there's many ways to do this. Stay tuned, I'll tell you about one of them. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So full disclosure, I heard this story I'm about to share with you on a podcast I listened to. Now, I'm not going to say all the same things that that uh, podcast host did, although I agree with him wholeheartedly, and I'll briefly maybe cover a couple of those things I agree with. I am going to share the same story with you, though, and it's kind of a cool story, and you maybe have heard it. It's been around for a while. I just heard it for the first time, I don't know, maybe a month ago, but apparently this, this story came out a while ago, and it's been a pretty... Pretty uh, good, uh, yeah. I guess you'd call it an inspirational story that that people have been sharing here and there for uh, for quite a while. So here's the here's the version I heard and or that I pulled up on the on the interwebs. There, the man was failing out of high school and struggling and struggled growing up. He was raised by a single mom in the Midwest. He promised his mother he'd take the SAT test. He didn't expect a good score. His score came back. He got a fourteen eighty out of six hundred on the SAT. His mother, knowing her kid, asked, did you cheat? He swore to her he didn't cheat. In his senior year, he realizes he's smart and decides to attend classes. He stops hanging out with his old crowd. The teachers and kids seem to notice. They started treating him differently. He graduates, attends community college, goes to Wichita State, and eventually to an Ivy League school. He goes on to become a successful magazine entrepreneur. You think he's smart. He just needed the standardized test to unlock his potential. No, that's not the story here. What comes next is the important part. Twelve years later, the man gets a letter in the mail from Princeton, New Jersey. He doesn't think anything about it. The next day, his wife asks him if he's going to open a letter. He opens it. It turns out the SAT board periodically reviews their test-taking procedures and policies. He was one of 13 people sent the wrong SAT score. His actual score was 740. People say his whole life changed when he got that score of the 1480. What really happened is his behavior changed. He started acting like a person with a 1480 score and started doing what somebody with a score like that does. So the the podcast I listened to was it was all about self, you know, self, you know, motivational stuff and like, hey, you know, if you think of yourself as a 1480 person, you're gonna do behaviors and and conduct yourself and and find routines of a person who does that. And if you think of yourself as a 740 person, you're going to sit on the couch and smoke weed all day or whatever whatever his version of the story was. And of course, this story applies to us as individuals. Of course, we need to remove the limiting beliefs about our own abilities, which definitely hold us back. And of course, who we hang out with affects our success. I'm an absolute believer. We're, the, we're the, each the average of the five people we spend the most time with. I believe that 100%. And of course, our habits dictate our success more than our wishes or expectations. 
agree with all those things 100%. That's what the podcast I listened to was was talking about. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about how this story, which is indicative of how people's subconscious and conscious beliefs about their limitations and abilities, applies to your employees. Specifically today, we're going to discuss how this relates as to how you treat them, how you educate them, how you involve them, and your performance expectations of them. So let's first talk about how you treat them. I basically only have three modes when it comes to employees. The first one is I'm determining if they're a good fit. This happens in the first few weeks of the job. When we first hire them. You know, hiring is basically wondering why somebody's unemployed and then finding out why after you hire them. And either you can deal with those things or you cannot. I might be in this mode of determining if they're a good fit after a significant performance failure. If they just completely dropped the ball and something, I'm like, wait a second, I, I, do I need to reevaluate like how you go about making decisions? And if that's a good fit here, you know, and some significant things, but that evaluation is pretty short. You know, uh, <laughs> I saw you did this. Uh, I, I, you know, again, after you, you've managed people for 25 years, um, the shock factor is gone. The things I've seen people do on a job, uh, sometimes are still just kind of bewildering to look back. But, you know, in some of those cases, it's like, well, this evaluation period is pretty short, and I know within seven seconds you can't work here anymore. Uh, sometimes it might happen after a sustained period of performance failures. You know, maybe all of a sudden for a few months, this person's just not got it anymore. This person doesn't seem to to have the same level of concern, or after an indication of their uh uh, after an indication of some sort that their consideration of the company needs that other employees needs or the customers needs are no longer up to my expectations. So there's those times where I'm just kind of figuring out like, is this person a good fit? Generally speaking, that's only at higher. Occasionally those other instances come up. The next mode is I've determined that they're not a good fit and I need to exit them from the company. This may be a fast process. Like I described a few minutes ago, it might be a slow process. Sometimes things are out of our control. Um, in the past few years, specifically, it's been hard for people to hire. You've, you've kind of had to keep folks that maybe you wouldn't have kept in 2012. Uh, that's just the way it is right now. Sometimes, uh, some of you are, you know, have um, contract obligations to to worry about when it comes to hiring and firing. Some of you have state laws that are prohibitive of, of just letting people go when when things when you'd like to or what whatever. There's times where it's not as fast as you would like. But it's still a process, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It's still a process of exiting from the company. So that's the second mode. And the third one is the default if it's not one of those two. If I'm not evaluating if this person's a good fit and I'm not trying to exit them from the company because I've determined they're not a good fit, then the only thing left is for me to coach them to be better. Now, of course, I have deal breakers. Everyone has deal breakers. Of course, I have deal breakers. And I've talked about that before. My goal is for the deal breakers and for me to be an authoritarian and say, Here it is, here's the way it is. You either do this or you have to go work somewhere else. My goal is to do that less than five or ten percent of the time. There are certain things that the company cannot and I will not allow. You know, if you're gonna put our company at risk for to lose our license, if you're gonna put our company at risk to, to not be insurable, like there's there's certain things like you just I'm sorry, you can't work here. Go go be somebody else's problem. Again, I want to do that less than five ten percent of the time. I and I can't coach somebody who I do not believe is capable of improving. This is a fact we have to really come to grips with, and we cannot get around. We all know this inherently, including our employees. So if I have a pattern of just telling people to shut up and do what they're told, they will know that I don't believe they're capable of making decisions, which means 
I don't think they're capable of understanding the priorities and criteria for making decisions that are going to be productive. Which means they're not all that bright or talented. Like the guy from the story probably thought before he took his SET test. Like if I can't, if I can't coach you or I won't coach you, I'm sending a message here that you're not coachable because I don't think you can improve. Now, some employees are going to interpret that more starkly than others. Some are going to disregard that entirely and not have any thoughts about it at all. Maybe they grew up in a way where like just being told what to do is just how they live. And that's fine. They might not care. But we're still sending a message here. So for me, to coach them shows them that I believe in them. Even when they don't believe in themselves. There's been tons of times where I'm like, I know you can do this. And sometimes I believe that more than others. But sometimes the employees just not, they don't, they don't have confidence. They don't think that they can do it. And I do. I'm going to keep coaching them until I decide that I'm in one of the other two modes of maybe this isn't a good fit anymore or this person's got to go. But if I'm not in those modes, I'm the coach. And I got to coach them when I have more confidence in them than they do. And I got to coach them when they might ultimately still fail. There's uh, countless, I mean, probably in the thousands of times where I've coached somebody and ultimately they just didn't get it. They failed that with this particular task. It doesn't mean that they lost their job. Uh, maybe they just couldn't get something. There's some one thing they just couldn't wrap their heads around. There's tons of things I can't figure out, and I'm almost 50 years old. I still want somebody to try to coach me, though, right? And it sends a signal to the rest of the team that I want this individual to be successful, and I don't employ people who are not capable of being successful. And they are employed here, therefore they are capable of being successful. I think that's a really important piece of the, of the culture puzzle that's not talked about a whole lot. Yes, when I'm coaching a person, that individual I'm coaching is going to get the benefit of that because they're going to know I believe in them. But the other people are going to know that I believe in everybody that works there because they will know whether I explain this or not. And I do to a certain extent, probably not the same way everyone would. I'm pretty open about this kind of thing. Like I'm in the coaching mode until it's time not to be in the coaching mode anymore. And you will know definitively when that happens. Like I'm pretty open about that stuff. Uh, and you may, again, it may not be your style. You may not be able to do that for various reasons. I'm not suggesting you have to. But I want people to know that the people here are capable of doing well. The people here are capable, are worthy of being coached because I know that they're capable of succeeding. We don't employ people who don't have that. You're employed here, therefore you fall in that group. It will change the way people think about themselves to know that I'm a selective person and I only hire people who can be winners, right? The next thing is how we educate them. So just like coaching, if I'm not willing to educate them, I'm sending them a message that they're not really capable of understanding or implementing the information I would share. If I don't tell them what the overall goal is and just focus on hammering them on following a specific process, I'm sending a signal that I have to keep them focused on small tasks, kind of like I would with a child. You just worry about getting the invoice written correctly. I'll focus on how to address the needs of the customer and let you know later, if I think you can handle it. Now, again, not every employee is going to take that harshly. Some are going to be okay with that. Some will not, though. And, and generally speaking, I don't want to send the message that, that we have people who are not capable of understanding big-level ideas. I want people to all feel like that they are capable of doing that because, quite frankly, having a bunch of people who know what we're trying to achieve is going to be way more successful than having one person trying to figure it all out. And we're, going to t we're going to talk about this some more next week as well. But... I think we got to be careful about the message we're sending here. If we choose not to educate them and we choose only to focus on you just deal with this small little de detailed procedure I'm going to give you and I'll worry about the high-level stuff, we're sending a message there. And it's not just a trust issue, although oftentimes it is. 
we're also kind of sending a message that they're just not they're not quite with it enough to figure out this big important stuff. So I got to be really careful about that. The next one is how we involve them. Again, similar to how I treat them, how I educate them, how much I involve them sends a message as to how I view their capabilities. It's a simple fact that you and I would not ask a person to help us solve a problem if we didn't think they were capable of helping us find a solution. That is a fact. You would not ask a person to help you solve a problem you didn't think they could help you solve. It's also a simple fact that when we're self-conscious, like the guy in the story before he got his first SAT score back, we are likely to assume that things happen largely because of our own limitations or deficiencies. So if I'm, if the boss isn't coming to me and asking me in my opinion, and I have a very low self-esteem about myself, I'm probably going to figure that it's because I'm not very smart. So while there might be other plausible reasons why not to ask our team to help solve problems, if they don't believe in themselves, they will likely assume we don't ask because we don't think they're capable of helping us find a solution, and down the circular spiral we go. They think less of themselves. We see that they're less interested in being proactive. We ask them for input less. They think we, they think less of themselves, and round and round we go. And the fourth one is we set the tone on this with our performance expectations of them. If I have low expectations for consistent high levels of performance, there's only a handful of reasons that would be the case. Chief amongst them would be my perception of the employee's ability to meet my expectations. If I don't think you can meet expectations for a 10, I guess I'll set the bar at 4. If you do okay there, maybe I'll raise it to 7. Or conversely, if I don't think you can hit a 10, I'll set it at a 7. If you miss that, I guess I'll lower it to a 5. We're sending a message with this stuff. Why in the world would I keep an employee on board that I couldn't have a reasonable level of, perfor- uh, level of performance expectations? What signal does that send to the rest of the team? The signal is, we'll employ anybody, so you're not that special. <laughs> Just because you're here doesn't mean you're great. I do not want to send that message to my organization at all. I want everyone to know that only high-level achievers work here. And the other ones are quickly exited from the business as fast as I can. Now, quickly might be a subjective term. It might take you months longer than you want to. It might take you years longer than you want to. I, who knows your situation? But I want people to know that only high-level achievers work here to the degree, degree possible. And since they are here, that means they are a high-level achiever or at least capable of becoming one. So first thing I think we should do is we is, is understand we all behave in alignment with our perception of our own abilities and limitations. And we send clear signals which help form our employees' perceptions of their own abilities and limitations. We show this by how we treat them, how we educate them, how we involve them, and our performance expectations from them. We send signals by how we educate them. It, again, I only have three modes with employees. I'm figuring out they're a good fit. I determine that they're not a good fit and they got to go, or I'm coaching them to be better. That is it. Those are my three modes. When it comes to coaching to be better, of course I have deal breakers, but again, my goal is to be authoritarian less than 5 to 10% of the time. I can't coach somebody who I do not, do not believe in my heart, in my gut, in my mind is capable of improving. This is a fact we cannot get around. We all know this inherently, including our employees. So again, if I just tell them to shut them do what they're told, they will know I don't believe they're capable of making decisions or doing higher level things which means I don't think that they're capable of understanding their priorities and criteria, which means I don't think they're all that bright or talented, just like the guy in the story. To coach them shows I believe in them, even when they don't believe in themselves and even when they might ultimately fail. And it sends a signal to the rest of the team that I want this person to be successful. 
I don't employ people who are not capable of being successful. You're employed here, therefore you are capable of being successful. And we send signals by how we educate them. If I'm not willing to educate them, I'm sending a message that they're not capable of understanding or implementing the information I would share, these higher level ideas, like you just stay down with the dumb stuff and I'll handle the smart stuff. That is the message we're sending. If we don't tell them what the overall goal is, we just focus on hammering them on the, you follow this specific process and leave the big stuff to me. I'm sending a signal that I have to keep them focused on small tasks like I would a child. And they're not likely to be proactive in solving problems. They're not likely to have a high self-esteem and, and feel like they can be competent in things. And they're not likely to change their behavior to become a more successful person. If I, if I tell them, just, you just worry about writing the invoice correctly, and I'll focus on how the, the customer needs are, what those are, and I'll get back to you on that stuff later if I think you can handle it. I'm sending a very clear message there, subconsciously or consciously. And again, they're not all going to re respond negatively, negatively to that. Some were just raised in a way where that's acceptable. Um, those folks, I would argue, would have a lower self-esteem and would have lower expectations of themselves. I want to attract high-level performers, people who are going to be proactive and shine and just kick ass and show me how to be, make this thing better. That's who I want to satisfy. I do not want to set my culture up to, to satisfy people who have low expectations and low self-esteem. I want to elevate those people, not drag the high self-esteem and high performers down. Uh, next thing is we want to send, we send signals whether we like it or not on how we involve them. We wouldn't ask a person to help us solve a problem we didn't think they could uh, solve. We're self-conscious about ourselves, like the guy in the story before he got his first SAT score. We're likely to assume that things happen largely because of our own limitations and deficiencies. We think things happen bad to us because we're a bad person. There's tons of other plausible reasons we might not ask our team to help solve a problem. But they might also just assume we're not asking because we don't think they're very good. And this begins that circular spiral. They think less of themselves. We see they're less interested in, in being proactive. We ask them for less input still. They think less of themselves. And round and round and round we go. The net result of all this in that situation is everyone is frustrated. Nobody is happy. We have employees who think poorly of themselves, who are not performing anywhere near the level they could, and we're frustrated. And we walk around saying things like, I'm the only one around here who can make a decision. I'm the only one around here who cares enough. Or I'm the only one around here who can get things done. We're sending signals with all these other things we talked about. So uh, last one is performance expectations. That also sends a signal. If I have low expectations for consistent high level of uh, performance, there's only a handful of reasons that would be the case. And chief amongst them is, I don't think you can do it. So if I don't think you can do it, why would you think you could do it? A small percentage of the population would overcome that. A small percentage of employees would overcome what the boss thinks of them. Certainly there, there are some that will. I've done it. I've had bosses who thought I was terrible. In some cases, they were more right than others. Um, in the case where I thought they were full of crap, I left. Went on and did things that were way, way more successful than what I did there. So, But that's the minority. Not, not a lot of folks are going to do that. A lot of folks are going to say, well, the boss doesn't think I'm very good. He knows more than I do. I guess I'm not very good. Well, I don't want, I don't want to create that. I don't want to create that culture. I don't want to create a culture I'm the smartest person in the room. That's for sure. I want everyone to know that only high-level achievers work here. And since they are here, that means they are a high-level achiever or at least capable of becoming one. And all they do is, is uh, change a few behaviors and actions, and they'll be that person. And they'll be the proactive one. They'll be the one who me solve all the problems. And they'll be happier and more productive and, and get all the things that they want to achieve in life. I want, I want them to all have that stuff. And I want them to have the perception they can have all that stuff. So uh, super soapboxy ver uh, podcast today. Sorry about that. Um, this story really just uh, kind of landed with me. I, I really like the story. Again, there's tons of stuff that, you know, as far as self-help and self-improvement and, 
and us achieving at the level we can and changing our behaviors. I, I think the story is great for that. But I really think it's helpful for us to understand the psychology of keeping people aware of their potential and, and letting them know that we only keep high performance here. And you are here, therefore you are a high performer. I think that I think that psychology changes people's behavior. It changes their actions. It changes their level of concern and commitment. I think it does wonders for them. So that's my theory on it anyway. And uh, this story kind of helped me connect the dots on how I, why I approach these things the way I do, why I have these beliefs. This story really just kind of solidified. I had never really put my finger on exactly what it was, but I do believe these things and I've believed them for a long time. So uh, anyhow, if you haven't had a chance yet, please share this podcast with a friend or colleague who's a business owner in a service industry. Service industries are things like contractors, auto repair shops, CPA firms, IT service providers, carpet cleaners, landscapers, all kinds of home service providers, business-to-business stuff like janitorial. Uh, Anybody whose business is primarily service-driven, not product-driven, that's who this podcast is for, specifically folks who have or are going to have employees, and also specifically for folks who want to know what the heck they're trying to build and how how to get some freedom from it so their business doesn't own them, they own the business. That's really what we're trying to accomplish with all this stuff here. So if you haven't had a chance yet, give us a rating review. Thanks to everyone who has. It only takes like literally like 90 seconds to write a review. If you haven't had a chance, please do that. And that's it for this week. And I'll see you all next week. 